Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Today is episode number 124. I'm your host, Phil Huber. Today, we're going to be talking about when projects go sideways and some other tool updates that we have going on here and news and notes from the Woodsmith and Popwood world. Special thanks to Shaper Tools. They're the sponsors of today's episode, and they make that Shaper Origin. You've probably seen it. It's the handheld CNC router. Uh, it brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking. Tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, and more with speed and precision. You can try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Just check out shapertools.com to learn more. All right, before we start this, I got to mention... I got a message on Facebook last night from Kevin Thomas down at Kansas City Woodworkers Guild. Said, I hey, just wanted to let you know that I am trying the Phil Huber edge gluing plywood method. And I just sent him back a picture of me scowling at him. So that's <laughs> Edge gluing plywood is where it's at, man. Yeah, that's what you tell me. I mean, in theory, there's nothing wrong with it. It's oh, brewing wood ooh, there's, together. <laughs> there's lots wrong with it. Would you, would mm. you, okay, hold on. This is a good argument here. Okay. I didn't mean to go down this rabbit hole, but would you, <laughs> in the store, knowing that there were sheets of plywood that came from the manufacturer edge glued, mm. would you knowingly grab one of those and buy it? Do, do we know that they're not? No, but we can make the assumption that those plies do not have a uniform seam down the center. Right. I the mean, plies is themselves the glue, may have seams. Yeah. Is is the glue joint weaker because half of that edge is technically in grain? But how I much mean, weaker? Okay, right. here's a question. Have you ever done a plywood case? And then just glued on a face frame to it. Uh, no, I usually screw pocket screw. Yeah, I've glued on. I've done it. But like, how structural is the face frame? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Just kind of depends. I'm not, the I'm not, pieces, I'm not, the, the pieces that I've made, I'm not the that joint isn't structural. No. Okay. No. It's I, just I'm not too, saying. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Just like there's yeah, nothing wrong with being a vegan, <laughs> it just it's not for you. It's not for me. <laughs> yeah. The only problem I would have is trying to get the pieces lined up enough yes. that's like I'm not right removing yes. veneers to get it smoothed out, and... which is why I use biscuits often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I use biscuits, biscuits or splines all the time. Yeah. Anywho, or I okay. think you could use. I think you could also use those uh, uh, edge jointing router bits. See, I'm down with that because yeah. I think Rob Rob's doing an article on that for this next issue of the magazine. Yeah, and are are we talking like the the finger joint? bit not the finger like, joint one it's the, like the, the bird's mouth or not the bird's bit. mouth either no. it's the i mean they're called this? like an edge glue bit it's 
<laughs> now that's more of a Avatar Last Airbender sort of a thing. It's, that is true. true <laughs> kind of looks like a locking rabbit joint, like the locking rabbit joint glue bits. Okay. Okay. See, I, I'm down with the feather, like, the feather finger joint type thing. I'm down with that. Like, I think that's cool. I'm good with that. I'm not down with this right. witchcraft voodoo you guys are doing, though. <laughs> I haven't done it yet. I'm just, I'm not saying that I won't do it. <laughs> he's he's right. sitting back seeing how this game plays out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's trying to decide which team he's playing for. Right. So, today's topic... When projects go sideways, and I have uh, I have a couple examples that I'll share over the course of the episode, but I'm going to start with a project that I made uh, like 13 years ago. Okay. And it's a cabinet I made for my sister-in-law in the mid-century style. She has she has a strong affinity for the mid mod look and I saw the overall form in a fine woodworking magazine. I think I posted about this on Facebook like years ago. Uh, I really liked it. So I thought I'd make this for her. There were some fun challenges in it. Not least of all, one of the challenges was the fact that I was struggling with gallbladder issues at the time. So I'd wake up in the middle of the night with a gallbladder attack and like no position was comfortable. Can't lay on my side, can't lay on my back. So what I would do is I would go downstairs to my workshop and work on this cabinet at like one in the morning. <clears throat> and okay. so I, I refer to it as my gallbladder cabinet. Um, kind of anyway, it's kind of a cube and it has like a floating base on it. And uh, what I, for the base, if you can picture this, or the, the feet are like, th the blank size was like three inches square, connected with a rail to another foot, and then two stretchers to another set of rail and two feet. Uh, the feet kind of arc down. I'll send a picture on the show notes page so people can visualize what I'm trying to say here because my hand motions on the youtube version <laughs> is probably not really going to cut yeah. it oh i mean yeah, basically I if you're watching on youtube just turn the sound off and, and watch his hand motions and <laughs> explains the whole thing <laughs> yeah it's basically sign language <laughs> yeah so anyway on the youtube version i'm holding up the template for what the leg what the foot looks like and i knew this the connection between the rail and this foot was going to be a little fraught so i did kind of a it's kind of like a stub tenon and groove joint that I did on it originally. Anyway, the cabinet turned out fantastic. Looks great. Gave it to my sister-in-law. She adores it. Somewhere in there, their oldest child climbed on this cabinet and one or more of the feet snapped right at that glue joint where the rail that, that t it's essentially a tongue and groove joint because there was no shoulder on the tenon top or bottom. I just didn't feel like I had enough space for it to have a tenon if I did shoulders. So it got re-glued over the years and eventually all four of the legs have failed. 
My brother-in-laws tried to dowel them just with some quarter inch dowels to reinforce it and it just wasn't cutting it. So just recently I rebuilt the entire frame, but the only thing that I used were the two front to back ash stretchers. Then the rest of it's uh, walnut. So I redid that with, um, I did, I beefed up. So I have two versions of the template. One where the let foot to rail joint is at an inch. And then the other one where the foot to rail joint is an inch and a half at an inch and a half. Now I can, I put in two three eighths inch dowels that go in like an inch and a half. So they're three inch long dowels altogether. So I feel like that joint is quite a bit strengthened. And then, the, so those rails now are inch and a half wide. And then the front to back stretchers, I put in stopped dados on the backside and then reinforce that joint with a dowel too. Should I have done something similar when I built this originally? Yep. But sometimes you just never know what the life of a piece is going to be. Yep. Live and learn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's kind of telling, I guess, in my woodworking world that uh, I just kind of expect things to go awry uh, just from the fact that this last Green and Green bookcase project that we did over two episodes and three weeks, we were just kind of surprised that nothing was going awry. Like it was just going well. And we just kept like, why is this going well? What's going to happen? <laughs> yep. When's the anvil going to fall on our heads? And I think yeah. John and I said that as we were working, like, why? What's going to happen? Like, mm -hmm. this what is this witchcraft? This, yes. Like this, <laughs> this should not go together this easily. What's going to happen? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cause I was on vacation for a week and you guys shot the case and the top and yep. top and then doing the like the green and green style ebony plugs and the exposed splines like on breadboard ends. Mm -hmm. And I got back and the case looks fantastic. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And it's not surprising because you guys do great work, but like it just looks really good. Even unfinished, like totally unfinished. Uh, that's know. an awesome mm -hmm. bookcase. Mm -hmm. Um, so then I built the doors on it and by built the doors, I did the joinery and John had prepped all the parts to length and width, but I glued up the doors trying to be as square as possible. And a, they came out pretty square B they fit that case like a hand in a glove. Mm -hmm. Like we, you know, there wasn't a lot of fine tuning, you know, in terms of like angled shim cuts in order for it to for those two doors to go in tight. You know, we still needed to, you know, trim them for gaps for, for hinges and closing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But, but darn it, they just went right in. And yep. the same thing with the drawers when Chris yeah. did the drawers on them. Yeah. Yeah, I think the closest thing we came to a screw up was um, 
the muttons on the doors. We were, I was cutting the dados and rabbits to get those to fit in to the oh, inside yeah, of the yeah. doors, and I cut the 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 rabbit on the ends was supposed to be on the opposite side of the dados, and I cut them on the same side. So there's just a couple pieces that I had to redo, but that wasn't any big deal. It's yeah. you know small yeah, pieces. Those of are wood like to, yeah, to three quarter by and, a half, and we yeah. did not use the proper back on that case though. Mm. I mean, oh, not that yeah. that's wrong. No, it's supposed to be half-inch uh, mahogany plywood. Yeah. However, uh, none of our suppliers could get half-inch mahogany plywood. Um, so instead, we used quarter-inch mahogany plywood. It was not listed in the plans correctly. Um, the We always, in Woodsmith have our cutting list and our, our cutting diagram and stuff mm-hmm. and then we all say also need you know however many sheets of whatever half inch ply was not listed in there quarter inch was so i assume that was for the back um however when we started reading the actual material list um noticed that it was half inch ply um so we might have been able to get mm-hmm. it if we would have mm-hmm. noticed up front but the only difference in my opinion between the half inch ply and the quarter inch ply is you kind of get that tinny sound with the quarter inch ply, you know, yeah. like you get that, you know, the wah, wah, wah kind of the, the wobble, you don't get the rigidity, but not that big a deal. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, what you, I mean, you could glue two pieces of quarter inch ply together, yeah. laminate face, them. Face glue it in this, in this instance. Face glue it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You and could. get half inch plywood. You could. Yeah. Yes. And I'm yeah, cool we were talking. We were talking about that. If we were gonna put a quarter inch back in that, we would have put like a middle style in it. But then oh, it starts yeah. messing with the the shelf geometry and and all that right. stuff. So, yeah. But it's yeah, fine. This, this like and and here's I guess here is why I think that it is rather amazing that John and I did not f this up because. This is the case of offset grooves, dados, and mortises. Like, there is nothing on this that is, like, centered. There is nothing on this that is, like, centered on each other. Like, each leg is completely different from the other legs. There's weird notches mm-hmm. that wrap around the corners. Like, there's just a lot of stuff. But, my God, mm-hmm. we did it. That yeah. was, a uh, yeah. was that Fourth of July week? Yeah, I think that yes. week after Fourth of July. Yeah, because I had gone yeah. to Wisconsin to see my little baby niece. Yep. So, no, see, yeah. and I I brought this up, um, this this topic up because I know Phil, you had been working on that case that you were talking about earlier, and this weekend, I was. Um, we've decided to move our youngest kid out of our. Our two kids have been sharing a bedroom, and then they had a toy room, and kind of be like i want my own room i want him out of my room so we were like okay time <laughs> to split the children um and that involved i mean converting the toy room back into a bedroom painting it whatever but also involved breaking out um the crib i built for my oldest um it was a wood magazine project it was a three-in-one crib so it is a crib style that has a you know, front and the back, two short sides for the crib, but then you also make a set of bed rails that will turn it into like a full size bed. Um, and mm. I built it out of walnut. You know, it's it, it's it's pretty nice. Um, I like the I like the design of it. Um, I do wish the footboard in bed form was a little shorter. 
Um, but, um, you know, it is what it is. It was crib, um, is what it started as. So mm-hmm. anyways, it, it involved breaking that out. I did not realize it involved actually breaking it. Um, what I had <laughs> done when I stored it last, cause I'm, you know, I'm thinking I'm a smart guy, right? So I'm like, <laughs> where can I store this footboard and headboard, the two bed rails, the crib mattress, the crib box spring, like, and then the two crib sides. I'm like, where can I store all these that they're out of the way? Like, I'm not going to put them in the attic because I don't want to climb up there. Um, I'm in my back room like, you know what? I got floor joists up here. I should screw eye bolts into the floor joists and ratchet strap them MFers up there. And then they're stuck to the ceiling. They're not in the way. And that worked great until I went to get them down uh, this weekend. So, like, I, I undid one ratchet strap, and everything's walnut. It's all suspended. So, like, I got the, the in order of layers, I had, like, the mattress, the, um, I think I had the mattress, the box spring, or the, the crib, like, spring, the suspended crib spring thing, the yeah, two yeah. crib halves, the footboard, the headboard, okay? So, these are all suspended, ratchet strap tight to the ceiling, and then I had in between the floor joists ran the uh, two bed side rails, you know. Oh, so man. I handed those down to my wife. I undid one of the ratchet straps and I tied a stop knot in it, thinking, okay, in case this starts sliding, it's not going to fall to the ground. Tied a stop knot in it. Then I reached for the second strap. And as soon as I, like, undid the ratchet strap just a hair, I mean, you guys see where this is going, everything came crashing to the ground. Uh, one of the, one of the crib side rails had split apart. Now the only thing holding those two side rails together, the top and bottom halves are these slats and those slats weren't, they were like, you know, halfway glued into the mortises. So it's like those kind of started racking and broke apart a little bit. Um, not that I'm ever planning on using it as a crib again. Um, but I dinged the crap out of the headboard when it fell. Uh, It was one of those like huge dents in it, like golf ball size dents and smashed up one of the edges pretty good. And my wife's like, wow, she was just so like distraught over it. I'm like, well, she was distraught over it for me because I had built it. And I'm like, you know what? It's like, happens it's gonna happen whatever you know but it was one of those it's like i I got it brought upstairs set it all up grabbed some 240 grit sandpaper scuffed up the or got through the the dents and dings smoothed out where the edges had kind of peeled away a little bit um so my kid's not gonna get a walnut splinter um but then i just grabbed the iron and a wet rag and went to town steaming dents out worked great. I mean, like I could see where I dented it up a little bit and I actually still had the cans of, I used, um, I think Rockler, maybe it's Woodcraft. Somebody sells a Sam Maloof brand finish. It's like the poly. Oh yeah. Rockler does. Yep. Rockler. Um, I still had two cans of it from when I had finished this thing originally. So after I, after I steamed all these dents out, I went back and re-sanded them real quick in the bedroom and wiped a layer of finish over top of them. Psh, can't see it. Like, mm-hmm. it's one of those things, like, don't cry over spilt milk, don't cry over dropped headboards. 
So, <laughs> and the best thing about putting a fresh finish on it, the kid really slept well that night. <laughs> I can see you had something to stew in there, John. <laughs> it's like you, it's like when you're holding a baby and you know he's working yeah. on a big load in his pants. Yeah, you, that's exactly it's that it. same type of face that John gets when he's holding <laughs> something back. <laughs> yep. Uh, I'm not smiling. It's just gas. <laughs> so I don't know. I just thought it was it, it was interesting because I I feel like after we finish projects, if a project stays in your house, I feel like after you finish a project, there's at some point going to be something else that needs touched on that project, right? Like it's mm-hmm. never going to be a I mean, you'll be finished, but you'll have to do something. Whether it is a small repair, whether it is a you know reapplication of a finish. My nightstands in the bedroom back here um, just have a straight linseed oil finish on them, and I've, I've applied linseed oil to them three times in the year and a half they've been done. Um, so uh, it was just kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. That's why John doesn't finish projects because then he doesn't yeah. have to ever go back to them. That's right. Yeah, like what you said, any project that stayed in my house, it gets about like 90% done where it's like fully functional, but the last 10% doesn't get done unless it's like, oh, we're moving. I better finish that trim around the base of the kitchen cupboards or (laughs) we have a graduation coming up. I got to, you know, finish this up or. Yep. So 90% of the way there the last 10% is the hardest. Yeah. So. Today's episode is brought to you by Shaper Tools. They're the makers of the Shaper Origin, the handheld CNC router that brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking. You can tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, and more with speed and precision. You could try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Visit shapertools.com to learn more. I think the longer a project sits, the harder it is for... to do some of the stuff that fits on the inside, you know, like doors and drawers. Oh yeah. You know, like I did some kitchen cabinets for our previous house and I do not like, and this is totally personal preference, but I do not like the look of frame and panel drawer fronts. Okay. So I just did solid wood slab fronts. And I had, yeah, I had kind of a deeper drawer on one side and looked great, operated well until summer. And then it kind of stuck a little bit. So then you just plane a little bit, you know, I had to pop the drawer front off and plane it back a little bit and get it to fit and. You know, and sometimes with cabinets that have doors in it. Even if it's a you know like a bookcase cabinet, if you put it in some place and the floor is a little warped, that's going to affect the fit of the door of the doors. Yeah. So. You know, the, it kind of working on that crib or bed um, kind of made me think. Like, do you guys keep a? I know I th- I'm pretty sure Phil does. Do you guys keep a journal of projects you've built and notes on them? Uh, I don't usually, yes, 
I don't really keep a journal of notes of stuff as I've built them. It's more of little drawings. They're the, okay. I don't know, napkin sketches of what I use to build the project. Sure. Now, but then I, at the back of that notebook, I keep a list of every project I've made every year by year. Gotcha. Hmm. See, now I, I asked this because, you know, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I'm pretty confident. Like, I'm going to remember what I did <laughs> on that project. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so as I am. Nope. Well, as I'm as I'm applying, I, I mean, I, I know this this crib. I spent so much time on this. This was like my first. It wasn't my first fine woodworking project, but it was my first project I built at my home shop. You know, sure. Nine years ago or whatever. Um, you know, all my other big projects I built in a community shop at in school and stuff. Um, so I spent a lot of time, you know, intimately with this crib. Um, so I remember what I did as far as finish. I remember sanding it up to 400 grit. I remember all that. But I started thinking, you know, as I build these projects, I really should, like, keep a notebook of, like, what... Mainly, mainly what finish I used. Because if I ever have to go back and touch it up, it's really beneficial to know what you applied to it. You know, like, mm-hmm. if, if yeah. you built a dining room table and you're like, oh, crap, I can't remember if that was... You know, wipe on poly satin. If it was wipe on poly gloss, I can't remember what I used. And then if you touch it up with the wrong thing, you're going to see it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Or maybe it's as simple as non-discreetly somewhere on the project you write, you know, wipe mm-hmm. on poly, you know, 95 or whatever, 1995. Right. Like underneath of a drawer or. Yeah. Backside yeah. of but, the project or. Yeah. But then like you forget seen... where you wrote it. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> like. I've seen where um, people have been like taking light switch covers off and writing room paint numbers, you know, inside the light oh, switch. So yeah. it's like, oh, hey, I have the code. I can go back and get paint to touch it up or whatever. Um, I was like, ah, it would be kind of nice to be able to do that somewhere on projects. If it's a Woodsmith project, it's spray lacquer. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I found in my. So I have my shop notebook here these are the these are my working drawings for that mid-century modern cabinet that i did Mm -hmm. not that one that one for my sister-in-law that's Mm -hmm. it completed 1109 wow okay see that's more impressive on there but that's more impressive to me that you haven't i would lose my notebook Mm mm-hmm like I would lose no, I carry it around all over, and then there's like the list that's from 2009 of projects because mm-hmm. wow. I divide them up by you know like shop projects, furniture projects, gift projects, tools and shop. Mm-hmm. Um, See, I still have a project from 08 that I haven't finished. So, <laughs> dang, yeah. It's fun. It's sometimes it's fun to flip through and look at where I was at one point. It's kind of a time machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So another project that I had that I did recently, I did a video edition build for it was a, a bookcase for my woodworking books. Mm-hmm. And it's part of my vegan woodworking series yep. that I've been going through using the same fur that I used on my workbench project. And 
it's a pure delight to work with that material because with a sharp chisel, you can pretty much pound your way right through just about anything on it. If you wanted to make notches or through mortises or something, you can hand plane it for the most part pretty well. The only flaw that I discovered in making it is I had roughed out all the parts to get ready for the video edition filming days. Um, is several of, especially when they were in wider pieces, is there were, I don't know if you call them splits or end checks or what have you. I, I think it was the wind shake. From, I would call it wind shake. Because it was the Rachel tree, right? Yep, yep. So a couple of my pieces had splits on the end um, and then several of them being a softwood had uh, very large distracting knots where I didn't really want them. So I found that the wind shake pieces, you know, especially since, you know, they weren't really what I would call structural where they were, I could just you know, prime apart a little bit, squirt some tight bond three down there, yep. clamp it together, call it good. On one of them, it was on a shelf and on the end of it, I used my biscuit joiner. So I just ran a slot for a number 20 biscuit and glued a biscuit in and then cut it flush when it was dry, kind of an invisible bow tie joint, let's yep. call it. Um, and then for the knots where I had those where I didn't really want to see it, I made a template, just a simple router template that was a square, slightly larger than the knot. And then I was able to route out a shallow pocket, maybe a quarter of an inch tops, mm -hmm. probably like more like three sixteenths, and then cut little squares of a patch material. I could glue that in plain at flush. And when you look at it, you can see it, but it's not. It's not a knot. I'm surprised on how well it turned out in terms of, yeah. you know, it's like I, I know that they're there and I see them, but I don't think people casually looking at it, your eye would pass over it pretty easily. If anybody wants to see a photo of that, they can check out the September, October issue of Popular Woodworking Magazine, where we ninja that cabinet to take a photo of Phil's patch. Just saying. <laughs> and I did a special, uh, like a breakout video on how I made those, those patches in the pockets sure. for it. So, yeah. so this brings up an interesting question that I've been meaning to ask you guys on the podcast. Who would you guys say within our, our group in the magazine, who has the most unusual, what? <laughs> Chris Fitch. I was going <laughs> to say, Shout it who out. has the most unusual woodworking methodology as far as like Ooh. approach to to techniques and tasks? I know who I would say like mm. uh, most non traditional because I think I think you could say, okay, here is a technique or here's a here's a task that needs done on a project, and I would I would say we could probably all identify what would be the most direct and, and straightforward way to do that. But then we have yeah. some people that will maybe overcomplicate the process and do it a different way. So most um, off like 
textbook. Like, yes, there's a textbook yes, way yes, to do it. Yes, and then there's some like way. Yes, I'd say uh, Dylan probably is that. Yep, is that the correct <laughs> answer? <laughs> yep, that's yeah, that's the correct he, answer. Thank correct. you, John. He he comes <laughs> up with some very creative ways of doing things. And I'm always like impressed. Like I would not have thought of that. And maybe it's because I'm thinking inside the box. Yep. But yeah, he kind of goes off the rails on, on stuff. Yeah. And it's not a, not a bad, I mean, it's not a bad thing. Sometimes it's like, that was weird, but sometimes it's like, Hmm, I wouldn't have thought to do it that way. Not that I would do it that way after seeing that, but like that worked way better than I expected. Yeah. I would, I would agree with Dylan on there. And my prime example is one of his first projects for Woodsmith was that entryway bench. Yeah. Like it looks like a, almost looks like a built in mudroom thing. Yep. I think it's one of the coolest pieces that we've done. Yep. And we did it for the TV show. And as we, he did it all out of solid poplar, I believe. Mm Mm-hmm. For the TV show, we did plywood Yep. that John, I think, and in one of your most genius moves, John, I think you just basically edge banded the whole sheet and then just mm-hmm. cut parts from it that way. Yeah. Uh, so we did it from plywood, which didn't really change anything about it. But then as we were going along, because of our compressed time limit, we were going to change the order of assembly on some things. Cause we just didn't get why or how Dylan had done something for the assembly because in our haste, we just, it just seemed like this doesn't make sense. I would do it this way. So we did it that way and we were getting through and it was like, Oh, Mm -hmm. that's why Dylan did it that way. (laughs) And it actually is probably the better way to have done it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you go back and watch that episode on how we built it, Logan, Chris, and I, and then read through the plan, which illustrates how Dylan built it, you will see the subtle differences. And even if you choose to go with plywood, which is totally fine, build it the way Dylan did. <laughs> I don't even remember yeah. filming that episode. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Oh, no. It was the, it was the old studio. I oh I know I I remember I remember it I couldn't tell yeah. you what part of that project I built. Yeah. Weird. Mm-hmm. Is this what old ages is like? <laughs> I think that's just a lot of woodworking that blends together. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And you just yeah. black out for a little bit, and yep. A sh- yep. an episode gets done. Well, and, and like you said, though, Logan, this is the job you've held for the longest. So this yeah. is also what. This is called institutional memory. Ah, there we go. So yep. you can remember a lot of things, but then a lot of other things just kind of blur together like mm-hmm. the ingredients in a stew. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. He was here. He was with Woodsmith for like, what, three, four years? And then you like four. took over Pop yeah. Wood. So is that like, is that like reboot? Is like a new job? It, kind of. Kind yeah, of. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And you just Phil pull made out it from one matrix and then mm-hmm. plug into another one. Mm-hmm. Phil made it sound like I got fired from my job. So I've never been fired from a job yet. <laughs> so let's just <laughs> be very that. clear on that. I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I, yeah. I remember the Barnwood. I remember. I do remember the Barnwood. No. Oh yeah. 
we used barnwood for the door the on that, the didn't door. we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I totally I do forgot remember that. getting letters because we did – did you do the video? We did like a video edition video on using barnwood. I think it was Dylan did it when he built the original um, the original okay. cabinet. He, he talked about using barnwood. Yeah, and then like using a wire brush to mm-hmm. clean it off and oh man, all that kind of stuff. Because I got a I got an email from somebody, a very concerned viewer that we should not have shown cleaning out or using barnwood because of the possibility of there being anthrax in there. Yeah. So cool. Yep. Oh yeah. Nice. That's it's okay. no worse than walnut dust. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, now to John's point about walnut dust, I want to... I know where this is going. So I was working... Yeah, and you'll be surprised. Okay. So I'm working on that base, the new base for my sister-in-law's cabinet. And... I discovered something about walnut in the fact that there were some sections, you know, like the curved profile of the foot, I routed. And I did some finished sanding on it just to kind of make it a uniform surface. But I did a lot of handwork on it in terms of chopping mortises. Um, I mean, even drilling the holes is essentially handwork because it what comes out are chips. And then I did some hand planing on it and the smell of planed or chips of walnut is different to me than the dust created by a sander or a router. Okay. That's not where I thought I was going. And to me, I like the, (laughs) I like the smell of the walnut shavings from a hand planed surface. Mm -hmm. Or even just like when I, like I said, that I had chopped out those stop dados compared to the smell slash taste of the walnut dust. And that's what gets me. So I, it's the dust. And I can, so now I can sympathize with where John's coming. I still love the smell of walnut, but being able to find that, those two differences uh, put me inside John's head a little mm-hmm. bit. See, I thought you were going to make mention, because you did yesterday, about what Rob was in shooting some video yesterday in MDF. Mm-hmm. He was routing MDF. Right. Yes. And there was MDF dust everywhere. And Phil made And why it. was that? <laughs> well, the wrong bit. Right. Because we had grabbed a spiral down cut bit. We can blame we can blame Rob on this because he's the new guy, probably. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's listening. yeah, yeah. But we were using drilling bench dog holes with a plunge router. Yep. And he grabbed. We said we needed a spiral bit to do it through MDF, so he grabbed a spiral bit, and it turned out that it was a down cut spiral bit. Which is less effective for drilling holes than you might think. Yep. Um, it's more. It's better for punching holes than drilling holes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Phil made a comment as we are cleaning up, like, "Hey, Logan, how does it feel to 
to see this fine layer of dust all over everything and know that for once you're not the one that made that. It's like, ouch, <laughs> Phil. Ouch. It's like that that was a long time ago. Yeah. Like, I mean, yes, there was that one time I was working on this bed and I used that huge seventy five eighteen router to sculpt the, the curved headboard. Oh and yeah. That yeah. made an absolute chocolate brown layer of walnut dust in our shop like yeah in the main woodsmith shop over everything unusual size yeah that Mm -hmm. was i was gonna i'm gonna take issue with your saying it was just one time because (laughs) i'm gonna exhibit a is logan whitmer turns a bowling ball (laughs) okay i forgot about that yeah exhibit b Logan Whitmer turns anything on the video (laughs) studio set. Hey, the people want what they want, Phil. Right. Right. No, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that it was just kind of unusual that when Rob did this routing, that there was a fine layer. Yeah. And it was, and using, when he finally punched through with that down cut bit, we basically had cauterized a hole through the MDF. And then I went out, I think I had a meeting or I don't know what it was, and then came back in and having been out of the studio, the like roasty burn smell of walnut or of MDF dust had a very bacon aroma to it. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Well, you know, I mean, to be fair, well, I mean, not to be fair too, I, 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 I made this mistake in my shop about Five months ago, I was doing some work with Microjig on their um, match fit clamps and turning like an outfeed table oh, yeah, into yeah. A, you know kind of a assembly type table. So I routed like thirty six sure. dovetail slots in my MDF outfeed table. Oh my god! Like my shop's in the basement. I had the door shut, and there was MDF dust on my <clears throat> stove upstairs. So that was with air yeah, cleaners. It gets going everywhere. I don't know how it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing with MDF is they take like a foot worth of sawdust and compress it down into three quarter inch and add yeah. resin. And then when you route it, it's like taking that sawdust and this re. Yes. Repoofing you know, it. Repoofing it. Yeah. And shooting it everywhere. And right. It's like know. take out rice from a Chinese <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> Because they have it in that little pack, you know, the little yeah. fold-up box. But when you take it out of there, you know, it might say that it's a pint, but there's actually two gallons of rice yep. in there. Mm-hmm. That's true. Huh. It's like what people don't realize about fire hydrants is that they're not really connected to the water mains. They just have dehydrated water in there. Mm. Yes. So that when you... Yeah. Just add water. Just add water. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... One last thing before we wrap up, uh, I saw on one of the Instagrams that Woodsmith Shop follows, a guy had a Felder sliding table saw and then had, I showed you guys the dado attachment for it now, because I've always thought that those saws couldn't do dados because of you know European regulations and all those saws are made in Europe. However, 
this Instagram video showed a dado, some kind of a dado blade on it. And it was a cutter head that had carbide insert cutters, not only as the teeth, but also arranged vertically as kind of like the chippers or sidewall, whatever, scoring blades. I just looked it up online from Felder and it's an adjustable set and it goes from 6.3 millimeters to 20 millimeters, okay. which in American is just under a quarter of an inch to just over three quarter of an inch, okay. which is a pretty, pretty broad range. Mm -hmm. And you can get it in one of two diameters, 180 millimeters, about seven inches or 228 millimeters, about just about nine inches. And this Mamma Jamma is eleven hundred dollars. <laughs> that's a ooh, American. That's hefty. <laughs> yeah, yeah eleven hundred American ooh, dollars, not metric wow. dollars. Yeah. Oh man. So that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Wow. What's the arbor size? Uh, what is the bore size on it? It's a bigger bore size. I think it's a thirty millimeter bore. So, like, we could get it to work with a bushing. Probably. Okay. Done. I mean, I would love to see it because I think it would be. It looks like a super cool. I'm going to put a link to it on the uh, show notes page. And if anybody has ever used one of these, I would love to hear from you. Or if anybody wants to buy us, yeah, one bore and diameter. It. Right. Yeah. If anybody from Felder is listening to this, I'm sorry. <laughs> and we would still love to have one of these. <laughs> yeah, the bore diameter is 30 millimeter. So okay, a so little bit larger than the 5 like eighths. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, I say a new 24-inch helical cutter head is like $3,500. Oh. Like... It seems expensive. And but. why would you be looking at a new 24-inch helical cutter head? Nobody will know, Phil, until next week. Nobody? Nobody. Okay. Especially All my right. wife. Stay tuned. And if your name is Elaine, stay extra tuned. No. <laughs> I think that wraps up another episode of today of the Shop Notes podcast. If you have questions, comments, or smart remarks... You can send us an email, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Otherwise, leave a comment on our YouTube channel where you can watch the three of us do what we do best. Uh, and we'll see you next time on the Shop Notes podcast. Special thanks to Shaper Tools for sponsoring podcasts this month. They make the Shaper Origin. It's that... Uh, it's the unholy love child of a Star Wars droid and a router that gives you precise digital accuracy in your woodworking. You can try one of these risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Just go to shapertools.com to learn more. Bye, everybody.